Welcome back to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be my second interview, and I'm really excited about who you will meet. She's young, powerful Native woman. She's a mother, a sister, an aunt, an artist, an entrepreneur. She does it all. She's so fierce and creative, beautiful inside and out, a hard worker, a giver, and one of her favorite quotes that she's always saying is, make it happen, make it happen, people. So I'm going to be calling her, so she'll be my first phone interview, and I'm looking forward to it, and I will be giving her a ring. And so let's see um, how this goes. So hold on a minute. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. I woke up this morning. That was for you, Kim. (laughs) I was like, I gotta, I gotta do a little intro music for uh, Miss Kim Braveheart, (laughs) as I learned recently that you're one of her top fans internationally. That's crazy. I didn't know that. But welcome. I'm so excited that you're here with us. And before I called you, I actually did a little intro and want to have you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about who you are, and um, we'll get started from there. Okay. Okay, Kim. Okay, I'm Kim Filson Braveheart. Um, I am executive chef and co-owner of Etiquette Catering. I have been married to Brandon Braveheart for 14 years. My husband, he's also my business partner. And we have three beautiful children, Peyton, Paloma, and Pia. And um, I also own another company. I actually own a couple, but I own uh, Painted Sky Management, which is a business consulting firm. And where are you calling us from? I'm calling you from Rapid City, South Dakota. Yes. And... The other thing that I had told folks earlier is that uh, you're, you are a powerful Native woman. What tribe are you from? I'm a citizen of the Oglala Lakota tribe out of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation here in South Dakota. Thank you. So I wanted to interview Kim for a lot of reasons, actually, and I think she is one type of person, soul that everybody should have in their life. You know, there's certain people that we have in our lives that bring us inspiration, that bring us courage and bring us, you know, some folks that push you um, outside your comfort zone. And Kim is one of those individuals. (laughs) She's, I swear, like, I feel like she's always reinventing herself and, um, and is an inspiration to many. And I, and I found your story as I got to know you throughout the years, how you, are just always showing up so fierce and not afraid. And, you know, I feel like, um, well, you know, this month is, you know, in honor of women and how they have paved the way for many folks or many women that we both know that we respect and they have paved the way. And I feel like you're, you're there. You're also paving the way for other Native women. And so I wanted you to share a little bit about your journey of who is Kim? How did Kim come to be so bold and fierce and just full of love? Tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Thanks, Vicki. 
So I think it's important for people to know that I am both um, Lakota as well as Jewish. And I grew up um, in both of my cultures and understand the spiritual journey of both of those um, cultures. And I was actually raised by my dad and my with my two brothers. Um, he was a single parent. And we grew up in Minnesota among our family there. Um, when I was about 12 years old or so, I was diagnosed with a rare tumor in my left eye that was about six inches long. And before that, I was really considered like an extremely beautiful child. I know that sounds weird to say, but people, when I would walk into the room, would be like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. And my physical beauty faded because of this humongous tumor. And um, it was a really challenging time in my life. not just because of the physical aspect, but also like going through chemo, radiation, and treatment and steroid therapy, but also like the personal, you know, that's a hard age anyways. Like you're growing into a woman and things were just challenging. And um, I also had to have numerous surgeries as well as cosmetic surgeries. And the whole process took about five to six years until I was considered in remission and well. And it was really brutal. Like when I first got sick, I was terribly bullied and people really wanted um, me to continue to go to school main on mainstream education. And I tried and it was brutal. I mean, I remember coming back to one from one of my sessions of being out And there was like an RIP sign on my locker and people would call me like the walking dead and elephant man and they would spit in my hair and they thought I was just like so disgusting and they'd call me contagion. And I told my dad, I just said, you know, like I'm in this space of like trying to survive, like actually like literally trying to survive and I don't have the capacity to fight off the bullies. And we ended up suing the school district because they didn't do anything. And I got privately tutored. But one of the things that was, you know, I think life-changing for me was my dad. Um, I told him that many, I said, you know, people used to think that I was really beautiful. Like when I would walk into a room, people would always tell me how beautiful I am. And my dad looked at me and he said, you are still beautiful. You just have to let people see your heart. Mm. And I was like, I don't get that. Like I said, most people don't want anything to do with me now. Um, And he had me literally, he said, what you're going to do is you're going to show people who you are by your heart, your humor, your intelligence, and your kindness for others. And all of a sudden, your tumor will begin to fade away. And people will really be able to see your true beauty. And I had no idea what he meant, but he gave me this challenge that every day I was in public to introduce myself to two people. And when you do that, you have the ability to make human-to-human connections of just based on you're a person and I'm a person. And hi, 
and you and you know me I smile all the time I have a huge smile and pretty soon he was right I made friends with lots of different people and they never focused really on my tumor they didn't um, focus on my facial deformity at all and as I started growing and getting older um, I began more just got more and more confident and when I had my final cosmetic surgery, I really recognized that like physical beauty is so finite and doesn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. And when you have the ability to be beautiful from the on, on the inside, and I know people say that, but like when you really truly literally glow from within that people are going to be attracted to you um, for the right reasons and not just because you're this, you're a physical, you're physically a beautiful person. And I think that that was a lot um, that helped me a lot in my journey. I also think that being raised by men, you recognize that other fragilities that, that, this society in general put on women um, about our own insecurities and stuff was kind of thrown out the window because of, of of practical nature. (laughs) Like my dad was just like, I just need you to be clear about what you want and how you want it. And if you want something, I will know, then I will know. It doesn't have to be like, huh? uh, I don't know, maybe. uh," And he said, and I also want you to value how you, how, who you are, no matter what. You have a purpose, you have intelligence, you have knowledge that has been gifted to you. And if someone other, other than you does not understand your value, they're not worth your time. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so brilliant. Because now as an adult, I realize like he literally gave me these gifts of like understanding my own value at a very young age, understanding the importance of my own intelligence and also humor, but giving me the confidence to just be who I am and not try to impersonate someone else or impersonate another person's life, but just to be authentically me at a pretty young age. And of course we still try things on, you know, we just, we try, you know, I don't mean like try, you know, like I've been everything. I've been a DJ. I, you know, I, I worked in the music business. I've done all kinds of different things, but no matter what those things were is that I led by my heart and my confidence and knowing what I'm worth. And, um, as you know, as I got older, I graduated high school. I went to Cornell University. I studied um, economics, entrepreneurship, and the reidentification of Indigenous people in the Caribbean. I lived in Cuba for a year, and it was life changing. <laughs> I feel like I, even though I'm Native and Jewish, I have a little bit of Latina in me because of that experience um, living in Cuba and going to school there, and. I think, you know, as young people that the more that you get to travel and experience, I know right now talking about travel is not the best idea, but it was life changing for me. Um, And I did it alone. I traveled there by myself. 
which now I think about, I'm like, would I do that now? I don't know that I would. Um, but because of that, like fearlessness is like, I've already been to hell and back. <laughs> uh, so um, I know how to survive pretty much anything. I think that that has helped me a lot. Um, after college, I went, I was um, managing the Indigo Girls in Atlanta, Decatur, Georgia. And I knew them when I was younger, when I was a kid, when I was a cancer kid, um, my dad was their tour manager. So I was actually on tour with them. And my dad was in the music business when I was a kid. So I knew a lot of fairly famous artists. And when I went there, I loved it. I loved um, the music business and the South is so different than anything that I'd ever experienced. I'm a total Midwest girl, born on Pine Ridge, grew up in the Twin Cities area in Minnesota. But when I lived in the South, it was just a new experience, a new adventure. And we actually did a tour of different reservations. And um, I came to Pine Ridge. And it was one of the very first times that I'd ever seen my home reservation outside of myself and my family like you know I mean you grew up on a res like when you're that's your home so you don't see it any differently you're like this is my family this is my land this is where yes. I come from and then I was with people from an outside perspective and like it was the first time I really saw poverty if that makes sense um and how poor my reservation was from an economic standpoint and it had a profound impact on me. You know, they were like, Kim, you're from here. And, you know, why aren't you doing more to help your people? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't I? <laughs> mm. um, and my, like I said, my dad, um, he had his own music management company when I was growing up. And I ran, I did his books when I was a kid, like starting at age 12. Oh um, yeah, I'm fifth generation entrepreneur and I was like yeah why why aren't I doing more and so I started kind of exploring the idea of moving to Pine Ridge and my brothers were like no <laughs> don't move to the res they're like they're gonna eat you alive here I'm like why they're like you have no idea what it's really like here because you know I would always come to visit but you know, two weeks at a time, a month at a time, but not like really live there. And um, one day I just was like, I'm doing it. And I didn't really have a plan. I packed up my bag and I loaded up my Audi A6. <laughs> and I drove from Atlanta to Pine Ridge. And I literally showed up on my brother's door with huge Gucci sunglasses and a <laughs> Louis Vuitton bag and my little dog sticking out no and way. my brother I swear and my brother opens the door and he says are you the native legally blonde he did he really did and I was like hi he goes what what are you I was like I'm leaving in he said whoa Hey, oh, oh, all right. And the first day I like scrubbed his house top to bottom and it was dusty by the next day. And I was like, there's just so much dust. 
And it was a wake up reality of like, I can't believe that this is, this is, why did I move here? And I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a plan. And I'm a planner. Like I am a total planner. I love to plan. And when I got there, I literally had no clue. Um, my dad suggested that I show up at this meeting and I was like, okay. And I literally went to the meeting. I'm not even kidding you. Like in like a juicy couture jumpsuit. And I walked in and, um, my dad, my dad and Elsie Meeks and Lori Puyer, Tanya Fiddler, like all of these, all of these badass economic development specialists were there and they were all talking about this miraculous unicorn person that they were looking for who had a business background, but who was great with people who could teach people how to become entrepreneurs and coach them through it. And I'm like, Oh, well, I have a lot of those traits, but no, 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 this isn't the job. And everyone kind of kept looking at me and I was like, what, what is everyone looking at? And my dad's like, well, Kim happened to just move back here. <laughs> and, um, I basically applied for the job as a business coach for the Wolokia Business Institute, and I got it. And I slowly just started helping entrepreneurs write business plans, get, you know, that's how I met you and Joanna going through financial um, education, building Native communities, and um, became a trainer and just slowly started helping businesses start on Pine Ridge with writing their business plans and working with them through the financing process. And I did that for several years until I launched my own company, um, Painted Sky Management. And yeah, it was You actually have, well, you have definitely way more than Painted Skies. You have the etiquette, which we'll talk a little bit about, and also your jewelry business. But I wanted to go back a little bit to, oh my gosh, your dad is a treasure, like literally a gem to to start talking to your children at that young age about, you know, loving yourself. I find that in this day and age, it's, you know, people see beauty outside, right? And, you know, there, there is something to, about that as well, like, you know, taking care of yourself, you know, washing up and, you know, dressing up and not being your sweatpants and, <laughs> and your sleepwear for days, right? It's, but for him to talk about, you know, once you understand your heart, value your value of who you are no matter what you know that that's what matters and I find that we as souls on this plane that is one of the sort of goals of what we're trying to do we're trying to all love ourselves completely so that we can glow from the inside and oh my gosh it's I just really wanted to underscore that because I feel that no matter how old we are you know, that we're always searching for that. We, we want to be loved. We want connection. However, what's important is being most connected to yourself. And your dad taught you one of the most valuable, valuable sort of lessons. And it, you know, it carries on. And I love the fact that he challenged you to go out. I mean, that's even a good entrepreneurial tip to go out and meet two people a day, you know, nowadays, you know, people don't even look at each other. They're just plugged in and they're just disconnected. And so yeah, my husband says that because I'm like that, I'm 
still like that. You know, like we literally went to the grocery shopping, like emergency grocery shopping where we were just trying to do what we needed to do for this whole scenario we're currently in. And he, there was like six people in line to talk to me about what they, what they should cook. <laughs> and Brandon's like, see, you don't even do anything. And people like want to talk to you because you have this big smile and you're like totally open to people. And I was like, oh, I am. I was like, I'm like in sweatpants trying to just get what I need to get out of here. <laughs> um, but I think that like my dad, he really is. You know, my dad is so loving and he also has high expectations for his children. And I think it is imperative like in him to challenge you. You know, he still does it with me almost every day. Mm. Is like, you know, thinking of new ways to be creative and innovative. And when I feel stuck, he's like, unstuck yourself. Like, don't, don't fall into this trap. I mean, me and my dad speak every day. Mm. And he comes over, you know, at least whenever he's home, at least 15 minutes a day. Um, it's a little challenging, obviously, with this like self-isolation thing happening. Yes. But. Um, I love him and I feel really lucky that he chose to be my dad and, um, you know, he really is my mentor and one of my best friends and I appreciate it. I mean, he, you know, people ask me a lot all the time. It's like, how did you become so confident? And I'm like, I think it has a lot to do with those values and learning those things at a very young age about really who you are. And it also gives me the ability to, I just am who I am yes. <laughs> and you can either take me or leave me and it's okay if you leave me. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that many women in general are taught to be people pleasers yes. and I've been in phases in my life where I'm definitely a people pleaser and realizing like, eh, you don't really need to be a people pleaser because if you, if that person only wants you in their life because you agree with them, it's probably not a value-based relationship anyways. And a lot of that is with him. Yeah. I love what he had said to you early on, because I think, we, you know, as you're saying, most women are people pleasure, but we're also not, um, I'm not going to say all women, but, you know, clear about what we want. And it's always sort of that gray description of what we need and want and how he said very early on to you, just be clear, tell me what we want you know, you want and, and we can go from there. And I think the more clear and transparent we are in interactions with your partner, your children, your relatives, your business partner, it, it just makes it so much easier without the assumptions which get you in trouble. Oh, absolutely. And I think that in general, I communicate very directly. And I think that has a lot to do with being raised just in men, with men. Um, because I just say what I want and I say what I need and I say, um, kind of like, this is, this is, this is it. And I don't need to throw a fit or pout or, um, be emotional really about it. I can just say, this is what I need. And you can show up for me if you have the capacity to or not. Um, and I think that is important for all people you know, for men and women, uh, to not really play communicative games, 
Mm. Life is so much, life is so short that it's just so much easier to be like, this is what I need. And if you're not that person to give me what I need, cool, let's move on. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, people ask me that now. They're like, how can we support you? <laughs> how can, you know, how can we help you in this time? I'm like, I feel like I've been very clear. We need money. There are ways that you can do that so that we have income coming in. You can buy things from our online store. You can buy things from my Stella store. You can send me just cold, hard cash. And people like look at me like, <laughs> oh, <asked>. my. <laughs> I'm like, well, you asked, you know, like, I don't need people to babysit because I don't want anyone around my kids and I'm home. I am working on my business. But like, that's what it is. And I'm not great at sugarcoating things. It is something that I'm like, I do recognize about that I believe is a shortcoming of mine is that I'm not, I'm not like my husband says, most people, (laughs) most people have a filter. And, you know, he's like, I just tell people that, you know, you have like Tourette's or something. You just ask questions (laughs) (laughs) and say things super directly. And I'm like, okay she's there's something wrong with her sorry she's like that Brandon do not apologize <laughs> but, for her <laughs> <laughs> but I think honestly it's better I mean I'm terrible at small talk I do so much better of like even just having deep conversations because I just feel like life is really short if we're not going to create and make meaningful connections with people then like what's you know, fine, then that person is in the category of like a supreme acquaintance. And I'm just not going to invest any energy into it. Well, you know, I've already learned Um, some things about you that I didn't know. Like you have done a lot of things in your life that most people have not. I mean, you've, you've um, been in the music (laughs) industry. I had no idea you were a DJ. So you need to give me some tips on that. But anyway, you've done a lot. You've played a lot. You've experimented a lot. And so where you're at now in your life and, you know, given the situation, but where you're at in your life as you kind of reflect back, what do you feel is sort of the medicine that you bring into the places that you show up? What, what sort of gift do you feel that you offer in the people that you connect with and the work that you do? I, so I've been posting, um, just in my Instagram story in the last couple of days about some of the little organizational projects that I've been working on. And I was shocked about how many people reached out to me afterwards of just like, you know, you really, everything you do, you bring beauty to it. Every single thing you do, if it's cooking dinner, if it's organizing a bookshelf, if it's organizing your kid's playroom you bring beauty to that. And I feel like, wow, what a gift, right? To be able to say like, that's my medicine is I really like to see the beauty and sometimes the things that are not so beautiful. And right now we're in a time of extreme uncertainty and fear and some would say darkness. And I think that it's the opportunity to light up the darkness with joy and beauty, and authentic connection. Mm. So you actually, and I totally, I would, I would definitely underscore that in the sense of how you see beauty in different ways. I 
definitely want to hire you one day as an interior decorator for my place. <laughs> Believe me, I need it. I'm okay, but I, I you know, I, I need help in that area. Uh, but you, you know, some of the other ways that you, I know that you've shown beauty is through your cooking. And so tell us a little bit about etiquette. And I know given this current situation, it's on halt, but I think it's important for people to know uh, about your company there. Sure. So Etiquette Catering Company is a boutique artist and indigenous kitchen, commercial kitchen and catering company located in downtown Rapid City, South Dakota. We have a beautiful private dining room that holds up to 10 people. We also hold intimate, hands-on cooking classes. We've become really known for our local charcuterie artisan boards. Charcuterie is cured meats and artisan cheeses and fruit and fresh fruit, dried fruit, nuts crackers um and we're we do a lot of everything is made from scratch everything is just gorgeous and flavorful and as i said i grew up in a house full of all men and i learned to cook at a really young age um out of survival and i've become it's something i've always loved to do um even if it's making pizza i just enjoy the process i enjoy making things beautiful I enjoy playing with flavors. And two years ago, my husband were my husband and I were in a position of, you know, it's he had had a traumatic situation happen at work, and we had just had our baby, and literally everything life just stopped. Um, literally just stopped as we knew it. And it was an opportunity for us to reflect and pause and kind of review our current life and review what we wanted for the future. And he and I have always loved cooking together. And it's something that we really work at and study even before we opened a catering company. It's just one of the main things that connects us. And we decided like, hey, why don't we start a catering company? And he at first thought I was totally crazy and I wrote a business plan for it and I got, um, I got funded by a wonderful, amazing friend and private investor and we launched and we've been fairly successful since our launch up until all of those things have, have happened. Um, and so right now it was hard because we put everything into it. We put our money, we put our heart, um, all into it and because of the current situation in the world we're on pause right now Mm -hmm. but I was just thinking today that this happened to us two years ago where we had this forced pause and we're all like everybody in the world is having a forced pause right now so what a great opportunity to um, take inventory Mm. on what we've accomplished and what we want to accomplish in the future. And hey, why not? Let's reinvent ourselves for the future. And that's kind of what I'm working on is figuring out what is the next step and what do I want to do? How do I want to expand etiquette? How do I want to be able to provide more opportunity and more services for connection? Um, Because I don't believe etiquette is just a food company. We are a community connector. And so many people have reached out to us and said, you know, we need you to survive because you've brought so much to our community, um, both culturally and, um, and we just want you to survive this. And so we're doing our best to do it. 
Oh, I love that, Kim. I love the community connector. I really do. I think that actually I could see that in all of your businesses and, and as a value. It sounds it's really a core value in how you do your work and how you connect to people. I just I really love that community connector. That's yes. And I, I agree with you in the sense of like this pause that we are all experiencing because people that I've been talking to all have been telling me that they've been actually reaching out to people that they haven't in a long time and just reconnecting and um, really seeing what's important at this time. And it comes down to that, you know, the relationships that we have, um, who really matters and, you know, work is, it's, it's interesting because work is, it's stopped for a lot of people, but also it's like, you really think about the intentionality of work. It's about connecting and it's about making movement. It's about making shifts happen. And, and now's the time to kind of pause and rethink how we, we come out of this and how we do our work differently. And, and what, what is the foundation of, of the kind of work that we're doing? Yeah, I, I completely agree. So, um, you know, listening to you as you're telling your story earlier, you know, I just, I, I know that like most people, you've, you've had a lot of successes and you've also had some learning moments and, you know, hardships as, as a, a, a young native entrepreneurial. And, you know, there are a lot of native women out there who are wanting to start their own business to maybe tr- they're searching and trying to figure it out what they need and want to want to do and how in your opinion and I know you've been raised by men but you also have had women around you and you are a woman as well what sort of tips recommendations uh, you know would you give our our native women out there in terms of where they're at now they some of them may be in a place where they don't feel the heart um, and they, they're feeling a lot of hardship right now. And what, what would you, what would you say to them? For those women that are currently in business, I would say, I really want you to hear this, that this is not your failure. That no matter how good of a planner you are, no matter how much, you've thought about contingencies, plans, and et cetera, that this, what is happening currently and in the world is not your failure. That you will get through this, that you have an opportunity to reevaluate yourself and your business and think of new income streams and think about how you want to structure and change your business for the future. Most entrepreneurs, once we open, it is going a thousand miles a minute. And there's lots of things that we want to do and there's lots of things we want to do better, but we never have the time to do them. And don't get me wrong, give yourself a couple of days and grieve. I did. I cried for literally three or four days straight. And I'm not even a crier, but I like bawled, full on bawled and felt sorry for myself and did all those things. <laughs> ate chocolate and, you know, <laughs> cried because I was like, I gave everything to this business and now it's just imploding and everyone's like no relax it's gonna be fine you're gonna be fine and I'm like but I can see it you know um and so definitely do that and like think about other opportunities like one of the things that I love about my personality in general is that I'm like hey you know why not start another business and it's honestly how I started selling that um 
with the becoming a, a sales ad- ambassador for Stella and Dot. I'm actually a diversity ambassador for the entire country for Stella and Dot. And it was a way to drive income that was fairly passive. And so there's lots of opportunities to still think of creative ways to bring in income, even when things are not fully functioning in the world right now. So be creative and take the time to connect to other entrepreneurs. Don't isolate. Um, You know, innovation does not grow in a silo. So reach out to other people and dream. Have an opportunity to dream and dream really, really big. I love, I love everything that you said, particularly when you're suggesting that folks, individuals don't, um, don't take fault, like blame themselves for all of this, you know, given outside circumstances. And the other thing that I loved of what you said was like, pause, sit with the emotions, cry, eat chocolate if you have to, but let it out. You know, uh, you know, writing, I know helps people, you know, dancing, whatever you need to do to just sit with it for a couple of days. And cooking. I mean, I literally yes. cried into some homemade spaghetti sauce I made and my kids were like, this is the best sauce ever. Uh, I'm like, well, that legit has my tears in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what my grandmothers used to tell me is when you cook, you should be, be aware of what you're feeling and because that is what people are going to feel. They're going to taste the food that way. So if you're not cooking and not cooking with heart, then the food is not going to come out great. So... <laughs> Be mindful of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we pray before we begin cooking. You know, we we ask for clarity and blessings as we as we pray as we cook because we do take it as like a really big honor to prepare food for people. And um, I think that all those, you know, you have to figure out like what are what are the healing things I can do to help me grieve through this really scary and uncertain time and with the recognition that no matter what happens I will be okay and I will get through it and I will figure out how to financially support my family and everybody around me is in the same boat (laughs) because honestly that really is helpful to me Mm -hmm. is that I've talked to tons of entrepreneurs and there is not one entrepreneur who is like, oh, you know what? This is nothing. I got to figure it out. We're good. I have, you know, six months of savings. We're totally fine. I have talked to extremely successful, successful chefs with three to eight restaurants who are bawling, who are like, I didn't plan for this. I don't know what's going to happen. Our margin is too tight. We're closing. How am I going to support my staff? I mean, you know, I think that you have to recognize that there is something communal about it, is that in this time, we are literally all on the same playing field. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So many, so many tips on this. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm curious to know, you know, I know that we're in this pause but as we're in this pause, I believe it's sort of like a seed. It's sort of just, you know, um, going to sprout something new and different, I think, in all of us. And I'm curious for you, what what's in the near horizon in the sense of how are you going to come out of this or what are you thinking about? And it may be too soon to ask that, but, you know. I- oh, you know me. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I'm working on two projects right now. I'm working on some new branding 
Um, I'm actually working with a, an amazing branding um, ambassador um, who specializes in it. And so, and working on perform, um, putting my cooking classes on an online platform where people could purchase um, to attend an online cooking class. Um, we are also working on a cookbook and kind of like a memoir self-help book. And, you know, you know, one of my mottos is like, make your bed. No matter what happens, the world is exploding. We're all stuck at home is like at the very first thing when you wake up in the morning is make your bed. Find that sanctuary, create that sanctuary for yourself. That no matter what, if everything else around you is chaos and the house is a disaster and the kids are running around like crazy and everything is imploding, your bed is made and you can go and take a uh, anxiety nap if you need to. <laughs> so I'm working on two different two different books and we'll see what happens. You know, I I'm coming up with some new ideas of of how I can bring etiquette on a greater scale um, to more people across the country. I am so excited. I really am. I can't wait for you to finish the books and publish it. And when that time comes, I'd love for you to come back so you can tell us about it. And, and well, I'm sure there's plenty of learnings in that. And thank you so much, Kim, for that. So the one thing I had told folks right before I, I called you with my, with your Lizzo <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to work on that a little bit more. Anyway, it was like, I, this is the woman who always says, make it happen, make it happen, people. And I think you've underscored that in so many different ways on this interview. And you just, as I talk to you, I'm literally smiling ear to ear because I know you are too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's true. It I am. And I just, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank your dad for all the wisdom that he's given to you because now it's actually being pollinated here, you know, for others to hear and entrepreneurs that are out there, even just individuals make a connection, take that risk of reaching out to two new people, you know, while in this place, you know, by virtually by phone calls, there are people out there who want to be connected. So make that connection and make your bed people make your bed. <laughs> Any final <laughs> words, Kim, before I let you go? I think that this is an opportunity to create connection in isolation. And, you know, really reach out, take time to talk to people, to FaceTime with people, and also take the time to sit with those feelings, but also to be able to dream. That's what I think is important dream. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, Vicki.